And tonight we are studying David, David's example. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. In one way, David is better, a better example for us than the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord was tempted with sin, but he was only tempted. David was more than tempted. David sinned. Can you relate to David? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you see it written in the Bible? Do you see it written in your heart? Do you see it in your relationships with people? Do you really see that you are a sinner? David did see that. And you cannot learn the humility appropriate for a sinner from the example of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus never had the humility that brings repentance. He could not have that humility because he never sinned. But you and I, we must have that humility. Or else we will never see God. We will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We will not know what it is like to see an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 1, verse 11. So, because nothing brings us lower than repentance, and since humility is bringing ourselves low before God, then we must know that repentance is a fruit of humility. Humility produces repentance like marriage produces children. Humility produces repentance like a humble answer brings peace. Humility brings repentance like the rains bring the grass. It's always a natural result of humility to see repentance. Think through the Bible and you'll find examples of repentance. Job. I mentioned Job because he's one of the first examples in the whole Bible of repentance. How can you say he's the first? Because the book of Job is way out here. Job actually happened around the time of Abraham. Maybe before. In Job chapter 42 he says, Now that I've seen God... I abhor myself and I repent in dust. Job is an example. You go a few hundred years later and you'll find Manasseh repenting. A wicked king, we're going to study his life later on in the series. He repented, but it's only about three verses in the Bible. The Ninevites repented. Do you remember them? From the king down to the common man, they all repented. 
Zacchaeus repented, and Francis referenced him this morning. He promised to give not a hundred times back, but four times back. Peter repented. When he denied the Lord, he went out and wept bitterly. Paul repented in Acts chapter 9 when he was converted. But there is one man's repentance that is described much more in the Bible than any of these people. David's repentance is given more words in the Bible than anyone else. If you want to see an example of repentance, look at David. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at David. And as we look at David, I challenge you to do this. Compare David with yourself. Does your repentance look like David? When is the last time that you repented like David? Have you ever repented like David? Here you were, caught up in pride, in anger, in lust, in worldliness. Have you ever done what David did? Let's study his life tonight. Because David repented more than once. There are three examples of David's repentance in the Bible. No one else in the Bible that I could find repents that often. David's repentance bore fruit every time. Not only did he say the right words, he actually changed. And we're studying David because the Bible gives more words about his repentance than any other example in the Bible. So without further ado, let's look tonight at this. David's repentance came from his true humility. David's repentance was simply fruit of his humility. And as we study humility, I want you to know that even a man who kills people for a living can be very humble. If you're a loud person, you can still be humble. If you're a quiet person, you can be humble. If you're humble like David is. The first one I want to bring to your attention is before we get to Psalm 51. There are three examples of David's repentance in the Bible. And so the first principle I bring out is this. Number one, if you're taking notes, there's four. Here's number one. David repented each time he was rebuked. Each time. There are several examples of David being rebuked. The first one is one that we studied a few weeks ago. 1 Samuel 25, when David was rebuked by Abigail. David is about 28 years old when he prepares to attack Nabal. He's been treated badly by Saul for years, so he might have a reason to say, you know, this stress is getting to me. But when Abigail comes and humbly talks to David and gently corrects him, David does not say, hey woman, I'm the man here. He doesn't say, who are you? This man did this. 
Hey, you don't know what I've been through. In 1 Samuel 25, verses 32 and 33, David changes immediately. Do you notice that word immediate? David doesn't wait at all and say, you know, I just need some time to get myself together. He repented immediately. He accepted that rebuke from her. By the time Abigail rebuked him, he had been harboring his sinful plans for about one day. And he changes. He doesn't say, well, you're going to need to give me some time to think this through. Well, you know, I've been making my plans for 24 hours, and now you're coming in and changing everything. He immediately repented. Second example. He repented not only when a woman that he doesn't know corrects him, but number two, he, he repents when a spiritual leader corrects him. Nathan, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he's about 50 years old now when he met Bathsheba. And here are the sins. If you're thinking of the Ten Commandments, I'll list through all Ten Commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. Commandment number eight, that's commandment number ten. Commandment number ten, he coveted his neighbor's wife. Commandment number eight, he stole his neighbor's wife. Commandment number seven, he committed adultery with his neighbor's wife. Commandment number nine, he lied about it to Uriah. How did he lie to Uriah? With Uriah, he didn't tell all the truth. But it was truth that Uriah deserved to know. And David held it back because he wanted to deceive that man. You don't have to tell everyone everything. In fact, please don't tell us everything about yourself. You don't want to know everything about me because I'm a sinner. You don't need to know everything about me from the way I buy my socks. We don't need to know about the way you do all your dirty laundry. But what if there's a point between us where I know if I hide this point, it's going to hurt her? If I don't tell her, I'm intentionally deceiving her. And that's what David did. It's not that you have to tell everyone all of your problems and everyone needs to laugh at you because of everything bad that you've ever done. No, 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 no. But if you know, here's a point, if I don't tell Alvina, it's going to hurt her. And I hide it just so that she'll be hurt. That's a kind of lying. I intentionally deceived her. And David did that with Uriah's commandment number nine. Commandment number six, he murdered her husband, which led to commandment number five, he dishonored his parents. Do you think Jesse, David's father, was happy with the way David was acting. Commandment number three. He took the Lord's name in vain. In 2 Samuel 12 verse 5. Before he repents. He says. As Jehovah lives. That man should be punished. He's taking God's name in vain. Because he's still living in sin. And David chose another God. That's commandment number two. 
and commandment number one. David broke at least nine of the ten commandments. But then Nathan said to him in 2 Samuel 12 verse 7, Nathan says, you are the man. And when Nathan says that, David repents immediately. David does not wait. He does not say, I'm the king. And who are you? He does not say, give me some time. It's been eight months already. David repents immediately. The sin he overlooked for months suddenly became terrible in his own eyes. It is harder for us to repent when you have been rebuked because then not only must you humble yourself before God and before yourself, you've got to humble yourself in front of someone else. And David did that when he humbled himself in front of Nathan. He was accepting the responsibility to humble himself in front of Bathsheba and in front of the nation. The third time that David repents, listen to this. Who rebuked him the first time? A woman he didn't know. Who rebuked him the second time? A man of God. The third time, no one rebuked him. It came to his own heart. 2 Samuel 24. He's 65 years old now, or about 65. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 11, it says that Gad was his prophet. Wait a minute. Who was the prophet who rebuked him the last time? What was the prophet's name? Nathan. Now where's Nathan? In 2 Samuel 24, verse 11, it says Gad was his prophet. This time, David went on in his sin for nine months and 20 days. But then, his own heart cut him. And he repented. His humility was great because even though his own heart cut him, he knew he was going to have to repent in front of Joab the captain of the army who told him nine months earlier, don't do this. And nine months later, he was going to have to say to his commander-in-chief, you were right, and I was wrong. He was very humble also because 70,000 men of Israel were killed because of his sin, 2 Samuel 24, 15. So the first point I'm giving you here in David's repentance is this. Number one, he repented when he was rebuked. That was the first one. I gave you three examples. You won't forget them, right? Who were they? Number one, he was rebuked by who? Abigail. And then he was rebuked by who? Nathan. And the third time he was rebuked by his own? David repented whenever he was rebuked. Don't we find it hard to repent when we are rebuked? then it's a sign that we have no humility. Even if the rebuke is badly given, even if it's unfair and unjust, you're the winner. 
Isaac Watts, the man who wrote that song that we sang just now, Jesus Shall Reign, Isaac Watts wrote a book on logic. And in that book, Isaac Watts says, even if someone rebukes you in a bad way, repent because you're the winner. Let's say I come to you and I'm harsh. Hey, 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 you, stop it. What are you doing? And let's say that I, I'm harsh with you. And let's say that I'm unkind, impatient. And let's say that I'm, I lie a little bit. And I, I expand the details. And I said, well, you stole 10,000 rand when really you only stole 1,000 rand. If you're humble enough to accept that rebuke, who wins? You do. If you say, well, because you didn't rebuke me in the right way, I'm not going to listen to it. Who is the loser? You are. Point number two from David. David avoided pseudo-repentance. Pseudo. It's a Greek word meaning false, fake. David avoided fake repentance. Fake repentance. What is that? This is point number two. Point number one is David repented when he was rebuked. And then I give three examples of that. Point number two. David avoided false repentance. Now I'm going to give you four points under point number two. I see some... Several note takers are totally confused with my map. I'm on main point two, and there's four little ones underneath that. So just write A, B, C, D if you're writing these. Number one, David did not look for ways to defend himself like Saul did. Saul was looking for ways to defend himself in 1 Samuel 15, verse 20. He said, well, but I killed him out of Christ. I only spared Agag, and he defended himself. David didn't defend himself. Point number two underneath point number two. Sub point two under main point two. I see a nod. You're thankful for that explanation. Should I just get a screen and put my points up there? Sub point two. David did not shift the blame like who? No, no, no. That was, that was number one. David did not defend himself like Saul. Number two. He didn't shift the blame. Who in the Bible shifted the blame? Adam did. He said, look at this woman you gave me. Look at Eve. Look what she did. How can I work with a woman like this? Who could live with a woman like this? By the way, my wife reminded me of this quote this last week. C.S. Lewis. You've got to listen to C.S. Lewis. He wrote a novel. Several novels. And one of those novels... He has a woman character speak to another woman character, and the younger woman is angry because her husband didn't listen to her. And the older woman looks and says, Dear, forgive him. Who could listen to everything we say? (laughs) Adam blamed his wife. David didn't shift the blame. He took it himself. Sub point three under main point two. David did not reduce the charges or the sentence. Can anyone think of someone in the Bible who reduced the charge and tried to reduce the sentence? When, when, when God said, this is what you've done and this is what you deserve, he said, well, well, Cain, Adam's son, 
Do you think maybe Cain learned it from his father? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Sub point 4 under main point 2. David did not come out of his repentance too quickly. He was not in a rush to be restored. Can anyone think of someone in the Bible who was in a rush to be restored? I couldn't think of one. If you can think of a good example, let me know and it'll go in the notes. But David did not come out of it too quickly. He took his time in repentance. Let me just pause here and say, I know of a dear brother in Christ. In in a church right around here. In fact, he's visited us here. And when he fell into sin, he came and repented very quickly. And he came out of his repentance just as quickly as he went in. I was very glad, but very quickly he said, oh, I feel terrible, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And what do you know, just a short time later, he's back. And I even mentioned to him, but, but what about this? Don't you still... And he said, well, that's covered in the blood of Jesus now. Well, I'm not denying that it's covered in the blood. I never denied that it was covered but it seems like very quickly you want to get back into preaching. And very quickly you want to get back and tell other people what to do. And very quickly you want to act as if, yeah, everything's gone. I'm doing fine now. David wasn't like that. Main point number three. So if you're writing, this would be the three there. David thought carefully about his own sin. Main point number three, he thought carefully about his own sin. How do I know that? Because he wrote two Psalms in the Bible. What's the heading? You opened your Bible. I had to say open your Bibles. Because what preacher can justly preach without saying that? But look at the heading of Psalm 51, if you're still there. What does the heading say? Nico, can you read that? A psalm of David in his repentance. How many verses are in this psalm? How many verses? Tell me the number. 19. Can you guess how many words are in that psalm? They would fill more than a full A4 page if you wrote them out. If you wrote them by hand, they'd fill more than two pages. Depending on how large your handwriting is. Have you ever done anything like that? When you've sinned, have you ever written a prayer to God confessing your sin? Go back to Psalm 32. Someone read that heading, Psalm 32. 
What does the heading say? A psalm of David. Yes, this is a psalm of David. And let's look at this psalm. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my groaning all the day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin. Unto you and mine iniquity I have not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is another psalm that David wrote when he was repenting. Probably when he repented with Bathsheba. Which means one sin or one, one time period in his life. He writes Psalm 51 and again he writes what other psalm? Psalm 32. He thought carefully about it. We know he thought carefully because look at the pictures that he used. Right here in this psalm. I groaned in my sin, verse 3. Do you see groaning in verse 3? Look down at verse 9. What pictures does David use in verse 9? Do not be like this, verse 9. Don't be like a horse or a donkey. Is that a compliment? David is comparing himself to a horse or a donkey. Go back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 6. What does David call himself here? A worm. I am a worm. What, David? A worm? How can you say that? David used the heaviest metaphors for himself because he saw his sin the way it was. Let me ask you, do you ever say that in your prayers to God? Do you ever say things to God like, I'm just as dumb as a donkey? Do you ever say, God, when you look at me, you must see that I am a worm. I'm not even a man. Go to Psalm 51. Now we'll actually look at this one now. Psalm 51. In verse 5. What very embarrassing metaphor does he use in verse 5? Psalm 51 verse 5. I was brought forth in sin. I was conceived in sin. When I was a baby in my mother's belly, I was a sinner. Sometimes people get uncomfortable when I say about my children, my little camera that I was holding right here in my arms as we were singing, my son is born in sin and he's a child of Satan. And I've had some people say to me, you shouldn't talk that way about your little children. 
David did worse. He said, before I was even born, I was conceived in sin. Before I could think, before I had a heartbeat, sin was in me before my fingers were formed. These are embarrassing metaphors that just show how David thought carefully about his sin. That's point number three. Main point number four. If you're taking notes, this is the main point. This is the big one, the heading. And this is the final point. David acknowledged his guilt. He accepts the guilt immediately when he was rebuked. Monarchs do not usually take rebuke very well. How do you do? Let me ask. Some people will take rebuke very well from their authority. Well, because he's my boss. But then you won't take rebuke well from your peer, who's your equal. Some people will take rebuke well from their peer. Oh, he's my friend. But they won't take it from their boss. Because he's just a jerk. Some people will take it well from someone younger than them because they'll say, well, this kid's so humble, look at the way he talked to me. But they won't take it from their wife or their husband. It takes a special humility to take rebuke from every position. Husbands, listen to your wives when they rebuke you. Don't get on the proud horse to say, well, I'm the head of the home. If you were the head of the home, what business did you have doing that sin that you did? Wives, take rebuke from your husbands. Hasn't God given you your husband to be your spiritual leader? Well, but my husband is carnal. He's like we studied this morning. He's worldly minded. Fair enough. But didn't you see something good in him when you said yes to him? Take rebuke from your children. What? That's not the African way. It's the way of wisdom. Take rebuke from your boss. Yeah, but he's just a selfish, greedy jerk who's never worked hard a day in his life. Maybe so. But God put him over top of you. And God gave him the ability to see some things about you that you can't see yourself. What was life like before mirrors? I know what it was like because I have a 12-year-old who doesn't see anything, even though he has mirrors in his house. Must here, hair up all over the place, shirt tucked in, tucked out. How many times did he come out with his pants tucked inside his socks? What are you doing, man? That's the benefit of having someone else to talk to you. Someone else sees something in you that you don't see. And it's our pride that wants to pretend, no, no, I see myself clearly and you don't. Here you are telling me that I do this or that wrong. Ah, I can't trust your judgment. Look at the way you are. I've got good judgment though. Really? David didn't do that. Even though he was the king, he took rebuke and said the words, I have sinned. Do you know how many people said the words, I have sinned in the Bible? The prodigal son said, I have sinned in Luke 15. 
Very humble man in the most humble place, feeding the pigs. So hungry, he's grabbing anything he can to eat. He said, I have sinned. Saul, the king before David said, I have sinned. But he was lying when he said it. Because the very next thing he says is trying to defend what he just called a sin. He says, oh, I've sinned. Okay, I admit it, Samuel. Well, but there was a good reason I did that. David doesn't do that. When he says, I have sinned, it's full stop. Period. Close the book. David used the strongest words regarding his own sin. In Psalm 51, in verse 1, he uses the word transgression. In Psalm 51, verse 2, he uses the word iniquity. And each time he says, it's my iniquity, my sin. In Psalm 51, verse 3, he says, my sin is ever before me. In Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, I have done this evil. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was sinful from my birth. He uses the strongest words. Friends, there are no more words in Hebrew to use about sin. He took, it's as if David opens the dictionary, gets every word he can, and says, that's me. That's me. He takes all the words he can. He acknowledges his guilt. He makes 13 requests of God. Each one of these requests deals with forgiveness. Look in Psalm 51, verse 7. What's the first thing that David asks of God? Verse 7. There's 13 of them, so tell me quickly. In verse 7, there's two. What's the first one? He says, God, do this for me. Purge me or purify me or wash me. That's the second one, verse 7. Purge me is one. Wash me is two. In verse 8, what's the next one? Make me to hear joy and gladness. By the way, in verse 8, notice this. Make me to hear joy and gladness so that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Who broke David's bones? God did it. God will bring hard things into your life to bring you to repentance. And David didn't fight about the consequences of his sin. He didn't try to get... Uh, just give me, give me a better deal here. I'll repent if you just make it a little easier for me. You ask for 50000 make it forty, and I'll repent. He accepts it. Lord, you broke my bones. In verse 9, what's the next request of David? Hide your face from my sins. What's the next request in verse 9? Blot out my iniquities. Verse 10, what's the next request? Wow. The next one in verse 10. Renew a right spirit in me. The next one in verse 11. Don't cast me away from your presence. The next one in verse 11. The next one in verse 12. The next one in verse 12. Uphold me, sustain me by your free spirit. The next one in verse 14. 
Deliver me from blood guiltiness. And he uses that word blood guiltiness. He doesn't just say, deliver me from my guilt. He puts a compound word together to say, I want everyone to know I committed murder. And I'm not trying to say I stole a thousand rand. I'm taking the full responsibility for what I did. Verse 15, what's the final request he makes? Why? Why, David? Why do you want to talk? What does he want to say in verse 15? David is saying this after God just killed his son and promised him that the sword will never leave your house. You know all those children you've had, David? Some of them are going to kill one another. And David says, I accept it. Please open my mouth so that I can praise you. Do we know repentance like that? Do we know repentance that says, I see what I've done. I'm not hiding it. I'm not downplaying it. I'm not falling to the logical error of accent. Whereby I try to say, oh God, forgive me for my sin. Do you see the way I said that? What Are these two sentences the same? Forgive me for my sin. Or forgive me for my sin. Are those two sentences the same? The words were the same, but they're a million kilometers apart. One is accepting the guilt, and the other is trying to reduce it. There's no reducing in David's poetry. He's enlarging it. Look in verse 13. What does he want to do? After he has repented and after God has restored him, what does he want to do in verse 13? He wants to teach people the truth so that they won't sin the way he has sinned. This was David's pattern. David spent prolonged time pondering how low he was before God. He humbled himself and he spent time with it. So there's the four points. So let me close now with this. Let me just give you something you can take away and remember. Here's three things you can take away and remember from David's example of forgiveness. The next time you do something wrong, I want to encourage you to repent this way. Three ways. Three things. Do this the next time it happens. The next time you do something wrong, the next time your wife or your child does something or or rebukes you, the next time you sin at work, repent this way. Three ways. They're all taken from David very quickly. Number one, accept your guilt and the just punishment and the consequences. So number one, you repent this way, accept it, accept the guilt and the punishment and the consequences. That means if you're giving your salvation testimony, admit, I deserve to go to hell. And if you're not giving your salvation testimony, if you're just confessing your sins tomorrow morning when you come to pray, or tonight when you pray before bed, when you're praying, even if you've been saved for 10 years, say to God, 
God, I accept. The just punishment for my sin is hell and the lake of fire. Accept it. Number two. Refuse to defend yourself or make excuses or reduce the weight of what you've done. Refuse to defend yourself or make excuses or reduce the weight of what you've done. That's why your wife doesn't want to forgive you. That's why people don't think you're telling the truth. Because you, you want to defend yourself and make excuses and reduce. Well, it's, it's bad, but it's actually only 10 rand. Number three. David changed his life so that the sins for which he was rebuked only show up once. He's not rebuked for the same sin twice. The best repentance is a changed life. How would your relationships be better at home if you repented like that? If you had that kind of humility? How would your relationships be better with your children or with your parents? How would your relationships be better at church or at work if you did those three things? You accepted the guilt and the consequences. You refused to make excuses. And you actually changed. If you did those three things, wouldn't your wife love you? Wouldn't your husband think, that's, that's, the, that's a true Christian? May God give us grace to live and repent with humility like David did. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Please forgive us for having hard hearts. Please forgive us for defending ourselves, for being proud. Please teach us to be humble like David. Bring us low before the Lord. We pray that you would save us from our sin, save us from our cocky position. Make us humble, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Friday night, Bible study for the ladies. At Francis' house, Wednesday is prayer. Tomorrow night's theology. You are dismissed.